Hello and welcome to Chutzpah. I'm your host, Adam Greenman. My days are spent as the CEO of the Jewish Alliance of Greater Rhode Island, an organization focused on building a stronger, more vibrant community here in the Ocean States. One of the joys of my job is getting to sit down with leaders throughout our Jewish community. I learned so much from the members of our community, and this podcast is an opportunity to bring our conversations and insights directly to you. Our final guest for this season is Alan Litwin, Managing Director at KLR. Alan has long been a wonderful mentor and friend to me, and I'm excited to close out this season with Alan's insights on risk, openness, and empathy in the working world and beyond. This episode is actually one of the first ones we recorded. So aside from the sound differences you'll hear, it provides a valuable perspective on the wisdom we've captured this season. As always, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. If you have a lightning round question you think we should include in future episodes, or you just want to provide us with some feedback on the show, please email us at chutzpah at jewishallianceri.org. Now, I'm delighted to share today's episode. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Alan Litwin, welcome to Chutzpah. Thank you, Adam. Let's get right into it. Uh, Why don't you tell me a little bit about your upbringing before we get into the business of leadership? Sure. So I grew up right here in Providence in a conservative Jewish home. Uh, Actually was born in the North End and lived there for my first eight years in the triple decker with aunts and uncles on one floor my family on one floor and my grandfather on another floor. I have vivid memories of walking to show two blocks with him to his Orthodox show during those years and they're very fond memories. We then moved to about a mile from here and I spent most of my time in Providence there growing up and going to school and um, walking to Temple Emmanuel for Hebrew school. I have to imagine that growing up in the same household as you know, multiple generations of a family has an impact and certainly helps sort of define Jewish upbringing, but also just your upbringing more broadly to have access to all those folks all the time. Absolutely. And probably more valuable now than then, being able to reflect back on all those experiences and what I learned. And even after we moved to the East Side and being able to live in the Jewish community, to walk to Temple, to walk to this JCC and its predecessor building behind here, I have great memories and still have many great friends from that. So let's shift gears a little bit. Tell me a little bit about KLR. I I should say uh, KLR stands for Con Litwin Renza, but I think you go by KLR now as as a company, right? We do, correct. So tell me a little bit about the company. How do you describe it at a cocktail party, for instance? Sure. So we are uh, an independent CPA firm, a regional CPA firm and financial services company. So we are the 82nd largest firm in the country. We're the second largest CPA firm in New England, independent Mm -hmm. CPA firm. And in addition to our CPA service lines that we have, audit tax, et cetera, we also have um, KLR Wealth Management, we have KLR Outsourcing, we have KLR Executive Search, and we're affiliated with Envision Technology Advisors. Mm -hmm. So full suite of business advisory services in addition to the compliance work on the audit and tax side. That's great. And how long have you been the managing director? How long have you led the organization? So Larry Kahn and I founded KLR in 1983. So we, I guess, were 38 years in wow. in uh, leading it. We started out with two people. And um, today we have, I think the last count was 255 people. Oh, that's 
terrific. So it's been very gratifying with some great people. Tell me about those early days. What does that growth process look like? So we started out trying to figure out how we make payroll. It was a very simple process. How are we going to make payroll on Friday and how are we going to get revenue? And it morphed into, I think early on, we started with a strategic plan, figuring out how we were going to grow, how we were going to be successful, and how we could attract people because that's the essence of our business. And it took a while to get there. It was, uh, it was probably 10 years, and we, I don't know if we had more than 10 or 12 people. Um, and then we've done, over the last 22 years, 15 acquisitions, mm -hmm. and um, that's been a big part of our growth strategy. We've targeted other firms, some in the CPA realm, and some in our ancillary businesses. And we've continued to add very talented people, and our acquisitions have been targeted. They've been around either geography, around people, or around service lines. So we don't do mergers just to get volume. We don't think that's a good strategy. We've been very strategic in who we've merged in. And in fact, we've had um, business leaders in the community take a look at our organization and say, boy, you have a team of all-stars. Mm. And that was what our objective was. Do you think that a big piece of that was really not just looking at numbers, but really looking at the organization, understanding fit, and are the cultures going to mesh and all of that? Absolutely. So for every merger that we've done, I've probably talked to 10 other firms. Mm -hmm. right, the culture is more important than anything. And we've walked away from mergers literally when we're in legal due diligence oh. because something popped that we weren't comfortable with. So there's a real leadership piece there. You talked about strategic planning and having a vision and executing on that vision. Was leadership always something that you wanted to pursue? I would say yes, but I probably didn't know it was leadership back then. Sure. So I started at KPMG, or its predecessor, Pete Mollock Mitchell, in 1980. And um, I always knew I was there for a short period of time, enough to get enough experience so I could start my own business. That was always my goal. I didn't know that that was entailed leadership, but in retrospect, clearly, that was the biggest part of what I do. It's so interesting, the sort of entrepreneurial spirit. And when you think about that, you think about the desire to start the business. But there are so many other pieces that revolve around that that aren't about the business itself. It's about this sort of idea of leadership and accidentally falling into leadership. Some of the other folks we've talked to, it's the same thing. They have a passion for the work that they're doing and then realize that, oh, in order to actually accomplish this goal that I have, I'm going to have to learn or sort of utilize this whole other set of skills that I didn't realize. You know, obviously I was, my undergraduate degrees in uh, economics and my graduate degrees are in accounting and in tax. And that's really not what I use on a day-to-day -day basis, although the, the economics is, comes into play almost daily. But um, I do so little technical work now. It's all about strategic planning, people, recruiting, execution, totally different than what I was formally trained for. So how do you go about getting the, the informal training that helps you get there? Or you know, how much of it is learning versus just experience by doing? I think it's a combination. So I, I am an avid reader, and I also attend as many seminars 
as possible. They used to be live, now they're all <laughs> virtual. But I, I tend to listen and want to learn. At the same time, I confer with colleagues around the country frequently, and that's been a great source of learning for me, is to stop and listen to what other people are doing and to see what's what I think would be successful in our organization and what may not be. Chutzpah is brought to you by Jewish Roadie Media, but don't leave us lonely. If you're interested in partnering with us, we would love to feature your business, publication, event, and more in an ad spot just like this one. When you realize you showed up to a dinner party empty-handed, we're the friends saying, don't worry, this whitefish salad is from both of us now. Join the podcast potluck today to be a sponsor of Jewish Roadie Podcasts. For more information, contact Peter Zeldin at P-Z-E-L-D-I-N at jewishallianceri.org. So when you think about leadership, what are some of the most important decisions that you have to make as the leader of KLR? I think probably the most important thing to me is to hear what my colleagues are thinking, recognizing that by no means do I have all the answers, and many times their ideas are way better than mine, and incorporating those into our plans. I've always said we don't have to be, we don't have to come up with all the new ideas, we just have to come up with the best ideas for us and then figure out how to implement them. I think that's such an important piece to it. There are very few original ideas in the world at this point, but how we execute, you know, something doesn't have to be original to be original in the way that you execute it or the way that you do it. I think that that's such an important distinction as you're generating ideas and doing that work. We had an interesting situation this year is that we went to unlimited PTO for our team a year ago. And um, one of the things that I recognized during the pandemic was people weren't taking their time. And we said, we want you to take the time off and they were just consumed with their work. So we actually came back to my partners and threw out the idea of, let's just shut the office for a week. Let's force people to take the time off. So from July 2nd to July 12th, we were closed. And we told people, we do not want you working. Now some people, had to service some clients because things come up. But for the most part, there were no phones. We asked people not to use email. A good number of our people were forced to take some time off. That came out of a conversation I had with a managing partner of a firm, a national firm in Boston, who closed because their clients weren't around. And I said, gee, our clients are around, but our people really need to have a, a break. So it wasn't an original idea. We just adapted it to use in our organization. Do you feel like it was successful? Uh, your, the staff felt really uh, I think it was charged. incredibly successful that yeah. they were able to recharge and recognizing that it, what we found is during the pandemic, people were on 24-7. And this gave them a green light to say you're off. So people wouldn't be reaching out to them. They wouldn't be reaching out to other colleagues. So that once they were off, they were off, which is somewhat unprecedented in our world. Sure. As the leader of the organization, I imagine that you also took advantage of that rest. How important do you think that is for leaders to, to take that time to recharge as well? It's very important and very difficult. 
and I would say that's probably one of my weaknesses. I want things to go smoothly, and I want to make sure nothing falls through the cracks. So I am not one to, uh, to, to unwind easily, but I do pick my spots and can seem to balance it in other ways. That makes two of us. I am very bad at taking time off. I had a vacation two weeks ago and uh, joke that I made it till about Thursday before I had to check email because I just couldn't not check it. What I actually found was that nobody on the team emailed me because they knew that I really wanted to disconnect. And so they did the dirty work for me by not telling me what was going on. It's interesting you bring up the, the importance of taking a break. So I've been doing um, town hall meetings for our team for the last 75 weeks. We started out weekly and we've now evolved to monthly. But I've started out almost every meeting saying that our first priority is the health and safety of our employees and that's mental health as well as physical health. Mm -hmm. So with all the uh, all the things we've put into place in our offices about physical distancing and mask requirements, um, it's also been an emphasis on mental health because we understand the stress that it has put people through, um, both from a business and from a personal perspective. So I think recognizing that and giving people the opportunity to address it and knowing that the company is focused on this has been really valuable. It has sort of become cliche, but businesses really are made up of people. And it is the most important role that organizations play is taking care of their people because everything else comes after that. If you don't have a workforce and, and a group of folks who are really committed and, and have the resources they need, mental, physical, everything else to, to be successful, you're never going to get to the second part, right? So Alan, tell me a little bit about some of the hardest decisions you've had to make as a leader. And you talked earlier about strategic planning being such a big part of how you and your partners grew KLR. I imagine that there's process you have around making hard decisions. And so if you could talk us through a little bit of that as well. So interesting question, the hardest decision. I, I think um, before I address that, what I would say is what we're very good at is when we have to make a hard decision, we make it quickly and decisively. And I think that has not always been the case, and that's one of the things I've learned over the years is that when you have to make a hard decision, it does not get easier with time. So addressing it quickly, frequently those hard decisions involve people, and what I found is the other people in our organization are watching to see how we handle things. I, I would say that the hardest experience I've had, I don't know if it was a decision, was we had a serious injury to one of our partners and how we reacted to that and, and filled that gap in his absence. He's now fully back healthy, which is great. Mm -hmm. But we had a partner who passed away from cancer. And dealing with that and the impact to the organization, this is a significant contributor to the company, was very challenging. So it wasn't necessarily a decision, but a reaction to an event, probably the hardest thing that I think I've been through. And there's no process that you can really put in place to deal with something there's like no that. You have to go with your gut and we called everybody together and told them exactly what was happening. And it was challenging to say the least. You know, things happen in life. Yeah. And it's, I think we're measured by how we handle those things that are thrown at us. Absolutely. You know, you just talked about gut. And I think that um, it's interesting because 
more leaders that I talk to, um, even with the sort of growth of database decision-making, everybody still talks about their gut. And I'm curious your thoughts around the role that intuition and gut plays versus data and how the two support each other as you think about leadership. I think you have to make, you have to be fully informed before you can make a decision. So for me, that's reading, studying, talking to colleagues, analyzing data. That provides the foundation, but ultimately you have to use your best judgment when things come up. But I think that foundation, the more information you have to make a decision, the better that decision will be. But ultimately it does come down to going with your gut. I, you know, my, as I uh, groom some of my future leaders, they say, well, you know, how many decisions do you make in a day? And I say, ask me about how many I make in a minute. Because right. there's new things that come up daily and you have to just handle what comes, what comes at you. And you have to show strength when doing it and confidence. So many decisions that you have to make on a day-to-day basis. And usually the ones that are coming to you are ones that other people have wrestled with and just haven't been able to figure out or get an answer to. So it's not a binary choice. It's not a yes or no, usually, with the questions you're getting, I'm guessing. But I also think it's an opportunity to mentor Mm -hmm. some of those people who are bringing those issues as to how they would handle it and give them some feedback as to how you would handle it. So I, I think that's an important part of developing other leaders in the organization is discussing what your recommendation is and what your thought process is so that the next time when they're confronted with a similar situation, they can go through the same process and come up with the answer on their own. And whatever that answer is, it's the right answer. I had a uh, mentor essentially say the same thing to me that when you're leading, you know, you should be asking the person who's coming to you with the question, you know, what was their process? And that often what happens by the end of your questioning is that they bring the, you know, they realize the answer for themselves. And most of the time it drives people crazy, but then a day or two later, they're really grateful that they've got it and, and it's help, helping them develop a new skill uh, that they wouldn't otherwise have. And I, I will say, though, there are definitely times where when this mentor did this to me, you know, you leave and you just say, I really just wanted to come in here and get an answer. Uh, but now being on the other side, I totally, uh, totally get it. You're listening to Chutzpah, a Jewish ready podcast. Now you're listening to us tell you what you're listening to. Would you rather hear your own business, publication, event, or product being featured in an ad spot just like this one? You can become a sponsor of Jewish Ready Podcast and advertise with us. Don't miss a chance to be featured in Chutzpah or one of our upcoming series in a new way to advertise with Jewish Roadie Media. For more information, contact Peter Zeldin at P-Z-E-L-D-I-N at JewishAllianceRI.org. Can you talk about someone who you look to as a good example of leadership as you were growing and developing as a leader? And what about that person really stood out to you? It's probably not any one person, but maybe a study of many different leaders and adopting their style and tactics 
that I thought were appropriate for my personality and the way I wanted to uh, develop as a leader. But just watching how people do things and seeing what I thought was good and what was bad. Being on many uh, boards, community boards, and um, business boards and seeing how those leaders treated people was very valuable in, in me developing my style. Yeah, it's, it's funny, often you can figure out what you don't want to do more easily than you can figure out what you do want to do just by observing and watching others. Exactly. And, and I think ultimately it all comes down to figuring out how you want to treat people. I mean, it all comes back to the people, as you said earlier. Our organization is made up of people. Ultimately, how you treat people and how you are inclusive with them is an important part of leadership, maybe the most important. I think you may have just answered the next question, which is, what do you see as the most important job as a leader? For sure, it's, it's to develop the next generation of leadership and to get input from other leaders in the organization to make sure whatever strategy you develop, people agree with. Because I know a lot of times for me, I'll come up with an idea and my partners will say, that's a terrible idea when I don't end. And that's okay. I, I'm smart enough to know that if everybody else says it's a bad idea, it's probably a bad idea. Yet some ideas I come up with are pretty good and they'll say, yeah, we like that and let's tweak it a little bit and do it a little differently and great, we'll run with it that way. And some of them will come up and say, we love that, let's do it. Yeah. So I think listening to other people, getting buy-in, and that's part of developing the next generation of leadership as well because they're involved in the process, they're involved in the strategy, they're involved in the execution. And the, the, I think the, the words tone at the top as to how you treat people carries over from different generations of leadership. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, you talked about leadership at all levels of the organization when you're, when you're making a decision and getting buy-in. I'm a big believer that leadership isn't just the folks in the C-suite or the folks on the senior leadership team, that leadership exists throughout an organization. So what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to lead regardless of what level they are in, in their organization? I think a big part of my experience in, in management is management by walking around. And just by walking around the office or offices and talking to people and understanding what they're doing, what their perspective is, is very helpful in, in making decisions as a leader. If you don't understand what people are going through, how they're handling situations, what's going on in their personal lives, it's very hard to make decisions for the organization in a vacuum. So I think the one thing I would say is listen to the people in your organization. I mean, sometimes it has nothing to do with business, and sometimes it has everything to do with business. But getting that perspective is invaluable. I want to switch gears a little bit, um, although it all circles around the same topic. Talk about the importance of taking risks as a leader, whether it's personal risks, business risks. If you could just comment a little bit about the importance of taking risks. Sure. So I, I think before you can even talk about taking risks, you have to do your homework and make sure that whatever decision you're making, you have confidence in making. And once you do that, taking the risk to me is easy. Because if you have confidence in your decision, and you've done your homework, you're going to make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes in my day, but that's okay. My goal is always to make small mistakes and not big mistakes. So if I can mitigate my risk by making those mistakes that don't 
significantly impact anything. That's a good thing in my mind, um, as long as I don't take a risk that has a significant impact to the organization or to myself um, and largely been able to avoid those. But taking risk is an important part of growing the business. If you don't take risk, you're not going to be successful in growing a business. You have to take some risk. But if you have confidence in your decision, then the risk-taking side becomes easy. You know, I said at the beginning, I consider you a mentor and friend. And one of the best lessons that I've learned from you was that notion of it's okay to tell people that we're going to make mistakes, that we're going to miss some things, we're going to fail on some things, and that it's actually really important as a leader to emphasize that with with your staff and to say failure is something that happens. You know, mistakes happen. It's inevitable. We're human. But the idea that how we make them, why we make them, and trying not to make the big ones is really the most important element to it. Because if you don't create the space for making mistakes, you're not actually taking risks. You're never making decisions, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Because you're never going to get anywhere with no risk. So who do you rely on for advice? You talked about it a little bit throughout our conversation about talking to colleagues and others, but are there specific folks that you reach out to for advice? I've been very fortunate. You know, I've made a significant number of friends from colleagues around the country. And I am in a group of the top 100 firms in the country. We meet twice a year. So I frequently talk to my closest colleagues from that group. But more importantly, I have a group of seven other managing partners from firms around the U.S. who are very large firms. And we meet two to three times a year live. And we meet frequently on phone calls and on Zoom. And we're constantly sharing ideas and throwing problems at each other to try and resolve. And I rely very heavily on these seven colleagues. It's a great reciprocal discussion. They, nobody's hesitant to share their biggest fears and their biggest concerns. So that's my my best source of mentoring is other colleagues. So Alan, last question before we get to the lightning round. What's the biggest lesson in leadership that you've learned and how did you learn it? So I would say the biggest lesson is to listen to people and be honest with them. And I think honesty is huge and somewhat underrated. It's incredibly important to be straightforward with people and honest. And you can do that in a very humane way when it's a difficult message, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't give the message. It's just not fair to those people. So I, I think that's probably the most important thing is just to be honest with people and to listen. And I probably learned that from my parents. So not something you, you learn elsewhere. It's always nice when conversations go full circle. We started with the conversation about your upbringing and, uh, you know, thank you for bringing it back to that because I, I couldn't agree more. And it goes to something you said earlier about, you know, big problems tend to only get bigger with time. And so if you can be honest with people about where things stand early on, you're at least helping to minimize the impact as it, as it moves forward. And you get other people to help you try to figure out the solution. Yes. And I, the other place I've learned is from my family and my wife and kids. And they're, um, they're b brutally honest with me in a good way. And um, it's, they all come with different perspectives, and that's valuable too. And frequently I'll test out ideas on them, and they'll give me their honest feedback. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not good. But that's good. That's good advice. And right. I always appreciate that. So, Alan Litwin, are you ready for the lightning round? 
I'm not sure I am, but <laughs> fire away. All right. So, favorite Jewish food? Bagels and lox. Favorite Jewish entertainer? Oh, he just passed away. Jackie Mason. Oh. Favorite Jewish ritual or custom? Family holidays. So, constantly uh, getting together with not just our immediate family, but um, brothers, sisters, cousins. Uh, you sort of already answered this, but bagel with locks or corned beef on rye? Bagel with locks. Favorite Jewish holiday? Uh, probably Rosh Hashanah. This is the start of a new year. It's family together. Really nothing but promise and hopes. Favorite Yiddish word you like to slide into conversations? I'm not sure I can answer that in this <laughs> podcast. Do you like your kugel sweet or savory? Sweet. Purim or Passover? Purim for sure. If you could add one thing to the Seder plate, what would it be? Um, besides a sandwich, it would probably be um, something sweet. To, to remember that it's not all about um, suffering. That's really well said. Uh, name one celebrity you'd want to do the horror with. Maybe Adam Sandler, because he's such a character. And final question, how do you spell Hanukkah? C-H. C-H. Okay. Well, Alan Litwin, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I've learned so much just from this conversation, from the many conversations we've had. I'm so grateful you're willing to share your wisdom with all of us. And thanks for being a guest on Chutzpah. Well, thank you for uh, including me. And um, Adam, I think this clearly shows your leadership of the organization, the fact that you are uh, entertaining different conversations about leadership with community folks. Um, so keep up the good work at the Jewish Alliance. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to season one of Chutzpah, a Jewish roadie media production. Today's episode was made possible by the Jewish Alliance of Greater Rhode Island. Each of our in-person interviews is recorded in the Residential Properties Limited studio at the Dwarves JCC. Today's episode was edited and produced by Emma Newberry. To learn more about Jewish Roadie's projects, including our upcoming series, Breaking the Glass, head to jewishroadie.com, where you can also find our social media. Thank you so much for joining us. 